Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 29 of Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn every single week. We get geeky, we get intimate with the art of pitching here, and we do it with the five-time World Series champion David Cohn, Cy Young Award winner as well, the ace researcher James Smythe, and myself. Guys, right off the bat, I have to say, we knew about one of the stars of ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball broadcast being on this podcast. We didn't know the podcast was home to the star of the K-Rod cast here, James Smythe, getting a lot of camera time front and center on the inaugural K-Rod cast. Gentlemen, how was the first Sunday night for each of you? I'll defer to James, the breakout star. I agree oh, well, with you, Shaq. I was, I was on the deuce. You were on the main, you were on the main <laughs> network. So, uh, no, it was fun. It was a little bit of a surprise since I didn't know until uh, – only a, you know, a few days or a week ahead of time that it would actually incorporate me in, in some small way. But uh, it was fun to get a little FaceTime, uh, drop some drop a few facts on there. Although it was interesting when I come in in a tie game in the sixth inning and I start blabbing about how great the Yankee bullpen was in the first two and a half games of the series. And then, boom, Bobby Dahlbeck, go ahead, home run off of Clark Schmidt. So sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles. Overall, though, pretty impressive show. Had a lot of cool guests. Had The Rocket on, David Ortiz, a little Jeff Passan as well. Julio really, Rodriguez? Yeah, yes, Julio Rodriguez, the Jay Show. Uh, very, very interesting open for that, uh, for that broadcast. David, how'd you feel with Carl and Eduardo? I thought it was great. Uh, they're so easy to work with. Carl Ravitch is kind of a lifer at ESPN. He's been doing baseball tonight back when I was a rookie almost, you know, <laughs> playing in my early days back to the Mets. So he just makes it so much easier to, to work with. As you guys know, you guys both are obviously, uh, you know, even uh, broadcasting in your, in your own backgrounds, play-by-play. And uh, when you have a, a great play-by-play guy who's so generous, who's so selfless, it just makes makes the whole broadcast flow. And Eduardo Perez is like the mayor. I mean, he knows everybody. You walk into a clubhouse with this guy, he's, he's hugging and kissing all the players. He's obviously bilingual. He has, uh, he just has that personality. That's such a sweetheart. So another guy that's so easy to work with. Yeah. Eduardo's uh, does a, a, a terrific job on MLB network radio on Sirius XM. I know he has some regular reps hosting shows there and Carl, it is really an art to be like a seamless traffic cop, not just in a hosting chair, but when you're in the play-by-play chair to incorporate traffic cop duties is extra hard. I guess you could call it. It's an extra responsibility and he does it so well. And you're right. I mean, I don't want to, I'm kind of hesitant to tell him this when I see him in person. I mean, saw, saw you guys at the stadium yesterday, but you know, Hey Carl, like, yeah, you're, you know, I've, I've been watching you since I was uh, probably under 10 years old in grammar school. I don't want to make the guy feel old, but uh I mean, for, for what we do, uh, I mean, he's, he's one of the gold standards for, for baseball broadcasting. It's awesome to see this, uh, this booth, the three of you, off and running here to start 2022. It's a really exciting time. We're doing this podcast now with games underway, regular season rolling along, first series out of the way. Quick reminder, this episode of Tone the Slab is brought to you by the Topps Bunt 2022 app, but the start of games being played, it kind of allows us to do some different things with this show compared to what we were doing in the offseason when there were no games being played. And look, we still plan on bringing on great guests to talk pitching, but we ourselves have a lot to say about you know what we're seeing on the mound and what we're seeing in games. And we want to make sure that you're staying informed 
on what's happening throughout the game. And one other housekeeping note, I think we should probably get out of the way at the start of the season with this podcast. We know regular releases every Tuesday. We usually record these on Mondays, but with the, with the Sunday night baseball schedule, especially on the West coast, like it'll be this coming Sunday in San Diego, it's obviously going to be tough to record on a Monday with David traveling. So there are going to be times in those situations where we'll likely push the release of episodes to Wednesday for those weeks. So it'll usually be Tuesdays, but every now and then we'll have a Wednesday release sprinkled in. So we'll remind you on the socials and all that stuff so you don't miss an episode. But obviously, if you're subscribed to the channel, to the show, you'll be uh, staying informed that way. We'll have this week in pitching history, obviously, three up, three down coming up. But first, it is the opener. And David, the first opener of the 2022 season. What do you have? Well, you know, I, now that we have the lockout behind us, collective bargaining agreements in place, a lot of talk about the, uh, the players, uh, you know, uh, showing themselves more, becoming a true partnership with Major League Baseball. You know, we have had a couple of great segments on Sunday Night Baseball. And last week we had Joey Votto actually mic'd up on first base during the game. And he was fantastic talking to Ozzy Albies on first base uh, when he got on, on the bag. So, you know, this kind of personality that, that comes through from the players is so important, so needed. And I encourage the players to do more of this. We had Kike Hernandez last night in center field mic'd up. He actually uh, had a premonition that he was going to, you know, if he hits a ball to me up, up the middle on a base hit, I'm going to try to throw this guy out at home. And it actually happened. And, and he made a great throw, hit the cutoff man, although he didn't get him at home, but those sorts of things go a long way towards not only enhancing the broadcast, but showing us the personality of these players. That's what we need. That's what we want. I know you two guys would agree as, as, as fans of the game, you know, to, to see that side of the players, especially in that environment live during a game is just remarkable. And I, I hope we see a lot more of it. Yeah, I love when Joey was asking Ozzy Albies if he, sh he should get a gold tooth encrusted in into yeah, his grill. It's funny. He's <laughs> it so, really what good. a personality. Joey Votto is a great personality. I guarantee He's, you there's going to be some uh, Emmy nominations for some of these spots uh, from, from some of these players along the way. He's great. Uh, sorry I missed Kike last night, but uh, I did see a couple clips, and uh, this is something that definitely is needed in the game. Joey Votto's a social media star now, too, overnight. He adds his... TikTok, he has a Twitter account now, and they're blowing up, and he's really creative. David, do you know what goes into deciding which player you kind of want to target to mic up? No, I think it's sort of a negotiation every week, trying to talk the players into it. I, it helps that the first two have gone so well. I think people really responded, especially on the player side, responded to Joey <laughs> Votto and how well-received that was by everybody universally. Uh, the, the fans loved it, you know, overwhelmingly positive on social media. So we hope that that kind of word of mouth or that kind of thing spreads a little bit. And when we get more, more and more players that, that are willing to take that chance, you know, and actually be mic'd up live during a game and talk to us as, as the plays are unfolding. All right, guys, let's run through some pitching stories from the first several days of the season. We saw a lot of pitch calm throughout spring training, but we saw more of pitch calm front and center. It was a big topic. As the regular season started, it's now in regular season games. And I think the pace of pitching was noticeable for the teams that were incorporating pitch comp. Specifically, you could zero in on the, the Sunday night game, if you want, at Yankee Stadium between the Yankees and Red Sox. Uh, we were, you know, for the most part, we were, I, I was at the stadium for all three games of Yankees, Red Sox, and the Red Sox 
as a team opt not to use pitchcom, the Yankees do. There was a noticeable difference in the pace of pitching between the two teams. What were your takeaways? You know, mine was that you're, you're dead on. First off, um, it was so effective on the Yankee side that Alex Cora, the manager of the Red Sox, had his hitters step out of the box to slow down the pace. They almost felt like they were rushed a little bit. Uh, Alex Cora also said that they didn't have enough time to adapt in spring training and that he has sort of an old school mentality in terms of like great catchers like uh, Benji Molina or any of the Molina brothers. Uh, that the way they give signals with their fingers is very demonstrative and it can have an impact on the mentality and the psychology of a pitcher. And meaning, you know, I throw me the fastball inside, you know, let's go. You know, this kind of demonstrative signal colleague is something that he, he doesn't want to see, you know, lost in by the wayside in terms of new technology. So he's a little slow. They're, they're a little slower to adapt, but the Yankee pitchers are all over it. Kyle Higashioka is setting the standard on how to use it on his knee pad, uh, on his chin, on his shin guard and covering it up with his glove. And, you know, we, we try to zoom in on him. We can't see a thing. So it, it is remarkable. And I think the timing of the signal calling almost by the time he throws the ball back, he's already punching the digits and, and the pitcher before he even steps on the rubber has the signal. And I think that's what Alex Cora was talking about was, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe we should, inhibit, we should, we should, they should be on the rubber before they can start, you know, uh, touching the buttons and sending the signal out for what pitch to, to, to throw. It's going to be a mix. Some guys are going to really be on board. I'm pleasantly surprised at how uh, a lot of veterans have, have taken to it already. I'm going to be interested. I'm sure baseball prospectus or, or some of these, uh, these outlets are going to have data very quickly to see what is the pace difference now that, good chunk of the league is using this right out of the gate. Are we going to see a noticeable difference in a decrease of pace, which is time between pitches? If that uh, significantly goes down now that uh, more and more people are using pitch comp. David, I know you were joking about having voices, different voices kind of send the message there. They, they should have the, the calm serene voice. You should have different modes. You should have a calm serene voice. You should have that maybe Terry Tate office linebacker, guy in, in a crunch situation with men on base in a tight situation, maybe change it up that way. But you're right. I think it's really, uh, when, you, when you take a look at a guy like Kyle Higashioka, the Yankees catcher, I think he is either showing, I mean, how detail oriented he is because this is the Yankees are a team that only started using this at the very, very tail end of spring training or how incredibly the tech, uh, incredibly easy the technology is to use because he's punching these codes in without looking at his shin guard. He has his mitt covering it up to kind of know the muscle memory where to, you know, place the digits is really impressive. I was talking to Nestor Cortez Jr. about just the team incorporating Pitchcom, and they all said the first time that they used it was the you know, the last outing for most of them during the spring. It was about the first time ago, they used it. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was about a, two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, it was the first time they used it was the first day it was introduced to them. And that was it. They didn't really like take time to study it. I was wondering why certain teams had it earlier than others. Really couldn't get a firm answer on that. But going a step further with a catcher like Kyle Higashioka and the Red Sox may be feeling rushed when there was a ball in play or there was a sequence where maybe a, a hitter walked 
Higashioka had the first pitch for the next batter already out to the pitcher. So it was extremely fast. It's, it's, it's very impressive how well organized a, a catcher can be with this type of technology and how easy he makes it for the pitcher. But one other thing I'm wondering about this as it pertains to the pace of pitching, if Pitchcom ends up working out really well here, do you think it could potentially negate the need for a pitch clock or are we at the point of no return with a pitch clock? I think working in conjunction with each other is, is an interesting follow in my mind. I think they go hand in hand. So the pitch clock with a pitch com, I think can really have an impact on the pace of play and a little pep in the step, a little crispness, as we say, uh, to just to try to, uh, keep batters in the box. And I think the residual effect might be a little more, uh, you know, balls in play. And there may be some unintended consequences just with the, with the pace of play with those two things together. I like them together, at least to try a pitch clock with the pitch com, I think together can really, you know, have, have a, a big, bigger effect than, than we may realize at this point. I think the numbers will bear it out eventually. If there is a big decrease in pace, then maybe, it'll lessen the need for it, but I think it is going to be something you're going to have to do in tandem because usually the, the MLB average being, you know, 20, 23, 25 seconds between pitches trying to get that down. I don't know if uh, the pitch com is solely going to be responsible for pulling that uh, farther down into a more manageable area, but I think both in tandem, like Coney said, is the way to go. All right, guys, the Chicago White Sox, they took two out of three from the Tigers to open up the season. And the pitching staff overall looking pretty solid. Dylan Cease doing a nice job striking out eight over five innings on Saturday. He allowed just two hits. Then Michael Kopech in the White Sox bullpen doing a great job in a 10-1 win on Sunday. But there are more injuries to this White Sox rotation to begin the season. We already know about Lance Lynn, sidelined with a knee injury. He underwent surgery. Lucas Giolito now to the 10-day injured list with abdominal strain issues. And Tony LaRussa, the White Sox manager, said he is going to miss two starts. That's sounding optimistic. So the White Sox already without Lynn. They're now going to be without Lucas Giolito. David, how does a team and a pitching staff overall feel the weight of not having the top guys at the top of the rotation at the beginning of the season? How do you carry on there? Well, it's even more difficult in today's environment because those type of starters are innings eaters and those guys are so valuable nowadays. They are few and far between, especially uh, Lance Lynn. He's a guy who could actually give you six or seven innings, get you three times through the order and give that bullpen a little bit of a break on the days when they pitch, which is, as I said, so paramount in today's game because you can almost look at every start and say, well, okay, uh, line up our parade of, uh, of relievers. There's going to be four or five used every game early in the season. So, yes, uh, that is a big deal, especially this early in the season. I think having Kopech in the rotation this year helps lessen the blow. He's in the in the bullpen last year, and he's got a big power arm. He still projects as a potential frontline starter, and he had a nice outing the other day, and they have him stretched out as I think he pitched almost into the fifth inning. So that helps, you know, the fact that they have him where they need him in the rotation once again, after being in the bully. So, but there, there's, there's no softening the blow. You know, it's, it's tricky when you lose those type, those type of innings eaters. And both of those guys are Giolito and Len are, they're a cut above in terms of being able to get three times through the order. 
it's not as simple as next man up because it's you're not filling one guy's shoes. Lucas Giolito pitched 178 and two thirds innings last year, and Lynn pitched 157. So when you're replacing guys like that, it's not just saying, oh, well, we'll call up this guy from AAA or our number four starter becomes our number three starter and everyone moves up a peg because you're not going to be able to fill that kind of volume of innings with one guy. You're going to say, well, we, we can increase the load from this pitcher, but then we'll also have to have more out of the bullpen, which can have a compounding effect. And like David said, too, especially right now, when you had the abbreviated spring training, starters aren't already, you know, they're not stretched out as, as they normally would. You need more and more bodies. The roster expansion through May 2nd, that's what you're seeing right now. You know, the White Sox signed Johnny Cueto. I think they're going to probably have to tap into his services a little bit quicker than they initially anticipated. So something to watch for there, because I know a lot of people had the White Sox as World Series favorites to uh, begin the season, but they take a big blow right out of the gate with their top two starters. You know, just on, on a, just to add on that real quickly, that, that makes Oakland's decision to hold on to Frankie Montas pretty smart because uh, when, as these things unfold in the early part of the season, his value goes up. He's still one of the best starting pitchers out there potentially that's available. So he's a watch. All right, guys, the Houston Astros and their pitching staff, their first series of the season against the angels, their pitching staff, they combined to allow 10 runs over four games. Their starters allowed four earned runs over 20 and two thirds innings of work. Framber Valdez, we saw the work and, and the type of pitcher that he could be pitching in the World Series last year against the Braves. Here in his first start, six and two thirds scoreless. He strikes out eight on 84 pitches. We saw the nasty swing and miss stuff on some breaking and off speed pitches with him. Jake Odorizzi turns in four innings on 66 pitches. Uh, Justin Verlander, 80 pitches in his return to the mound. He looked really sharp. Good fastball, good slider. Struck out Shohei Otani a couple of times. And then Jose Urquidy, another guy whose potential we saw in the fall classic to postseason last season. One run over five innings on Sunday, 72 pitches. A lot of people had the Astros making the postseason in their predictions. A lot of people kind of chalked them up as the favorites in the AL West, but they don't necessarily think of them as the force that they really are. I mean, they have three AL pennants in the last five years and they just find a way to get it done in the rotation. Has the industry not spent enough time putting respect on the Houston Astros starting rotation? It's a great point. You know, Framber Valdez probably has the most effective curveball by, by a lot of metrics last year and the number one rated curveball and in a lot of categories, uh, exit velocity, just a overall effectiveness of, of that particular pitch. Then, you know, once again, Justin Verlander is front and center. He is the premier pitcher of his generation. He it was a game changer when he was originally traded to Houston. The fact that uh, the, the Astros beat the Yankees out and among others uh, for his services had a direct impact on the World Series championship in 2017, among other things. I think Verlander was the biggest deal, and though people want to talk about other things, such as the sign stealing, uh, once again, he's back. His stuff looked great in spring training. His first outing was great. So, yes, Verlander is a game changer, along with the, the overall depth that you mentioned, Shaq. Yeah, it's a valid point. Uh, we continue to kind of overlook Houston, and they, they continue to uh, to align themselves in terms of balance and, and their farm system and – Reinfusing the talent, replacing Carlos Correa with a young kid named Pena that, that looks like a world beater at shortstop already. Yes, the answer is yes, we did 
not give them enough credit. Verlander's the X factor. If he's healthy and taking the ball every fifth day, we know what he can do. This might be a case where the offense is so good that it overshadows and kind of underrates their own pitching staff. And by the way, guys, they're not fully healthy. They have a guy by the name of Lance McCullers Jr. who obviously has nasty stuff waiting to get back from the injured list so they can only get stronger as the season goes on. This is a fun one. And I know you mentioned it on the Sunday night broadcast, David. Over in Japan, Roki Sasaki, he is a 20-year-old pitching in the Nippon Professional Baseball. He had a perfect game. But not only that, he had 19 strikeouts in his perfect game. And it included a stretch where he struck out 13 straight batters. So is this the best pitching performance ever? I don't know how you want to draw the line in terms of high-level professional baseball, but is this the best pitching performance in the elite levels of pro ball? In a short, short answer, yes, it has to be. It's professional baseball. Uh, you know, the degree of difficulty or the quality of the opponent, uh, let's just put that aside right now. Just the fact that he's only 20 years old. It's this, it's pretty early in the season for them as well. And you, you strike out 19 guys in a perfect game and 13 consecutive batters. You know how difficult that is? That's hard to do in blitz ball, much, much less, you know, a professional baseball league. So, yes. It is without a doubt on a short list of one of the greatest pitching performance in the history of baseball anywhere. Right. And one, one stat that jumped out to me, the swing and miss rate against his splitter in that game was 78%. And this is in a, in a, in a league where it's more contact oriented. So for him to dominate at that level and get 19 punch outs, the nine inning record here in, in the major leagues in the States is 20, but 19 is the record there. So he matched that. Uh, going back a little, hist- uh, a little bit into history, trying to find out oh, what are some of the other uh, candidates. Uh, we, we have Sandy Koufax's perfect game. There have been 23 perfect games. Koufax with 14 strikeouts in one of them, including striking out the side in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Uh, one thing in, in uh, more recent times, Kerry Wood has got to be at or near the top of the list for anything like this. Uh, the complete game, one hit shutout with 20 strikeouts in 1998 and that one hit was one of those borderline hit error plays on a ground ball to third base so Kerry Wood a young Kerry Wood in that rookie year has got to be up there too but Sasaki was unbelievable seeing some of the the pitching ninja highlights and and the clips from from that game unreal David what are you most proud of from your perfect game to me it was the human interest story surrounding it It was Yogi Berra day you know, I guess from the from the pitching itself, the efficiency, yeah. the 88 pitches on Yogi Berra Day to me still stuns me. And with a big number eight painted behind home plate for Yogi's number, I mean, go figure. So, uh, but yeah, it's a, the, the pitching side, the efficiency, and just you know, Yogi Berra Day. You know, I mean, you just Don Larson throwing out the first pitch. You, that, that's just it's a script that you just wouldn't believe. Yeah, the 88 pitches always blows me away when I think about that. 68 of them for strikes. So. Efficiency personified by you, my friend. Um, that wasn't my style, too. Those of you who saw me pitch a lot, that, right. that, that wasn't me. <laughs> Guys, Roki Sasaki, though, isn't just a, a kid who popped on the radar over the weekend. He's being talked about as the next big thing in Japanese baseball. 
And eventually you'd have to think he'd want to come over to Major League Baseball. He's a young kid, like we mentioned, much heralded. Japanese baseball, for a lot of people who don't realize, the way the country follows high school baseball is a lot like college basketball in the U.S. Pitchers, they kind of pick where they want to go to high school. There's a big tournament that the baseball uh, fan, you know, fan forum there, they follow religiously. I think a great book, if you want to learn more about pitching in Japan, is The Arm from Jeff Passan. He kind of details it and it kind of, it features a young Shohei Otani. So it's, it's pretty relevant. And a lot of people kind of compare Sasaki to Otani body frame, you know, six feet, two inches, just has a like good pitchers build. If you see this type of potential and you see the results at 20 years of age, how long is it up to the, you know, obviously the player wants to come over that has to happen, but I'd have to think, Every major league team has their eyes on a guy like this. Oh, yes, without a doubt. I mean, the, the stars have to align uh, perfectly, as they say. You know, it's not just up to the player. It's the organization, the posting fees, and just the opportunity when that window of opportunity will arise. And it takes a certain personality, too. He has to really want to come over here and pitch in, in the big leagues. It's a huge huge uh, you know, transition period for any player from any foreign country to come, come play in the States. But uh, certainly it's, it's, he's something, somebody to follow because he's so young. So there's plenty of time for those stars to align as they say. So it, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him at some point over the next, I don't know, half a dozen years uh, line up and, and, and present himself to, to be a viable option to pitch in the States. Right. And these, these kids over there, they, uh, they go through the pressure cooker at a young age. You mentioned that high school tournament. It's uh, called Koshian, and it is it is a bit of a, a March Madness type atmosphere. So for him to come up through that system, and you mentioned Otani, the, the, the lights are brighter earlier over there. Yeah, and a little more background on Sasaki. In, those, in that tournament, he was a two-way player. He was pitching. He was the team's ace. He was putting up zeros, I think, in one game. I I believe it was the round right before the quarterfinals. He pitched a shutout and hit two home runs. And I know when Otani was 18 or so, the Dodgers wanted to kind of bring him over as a pitcher. Obviously, he wanted to hit as well. Uh, Sasaki, in his case, he's kind of put hitting on the back burner and is focused on pitching. Hey, he's hitting 102. He's doing amazing things within a perfect game. It's incredible to read about and hopefully we see more of them here moving forward all right guys james this week in pitching history what do you have for us okay well we just had opening day uh over uh last week so we'll start with an opening day no hitter april 16th 1940 that's 82 years ago saturday a 21 year old bob feller not much older than sasaki Pitches an opening day no-hitter and a 1-0 win over the White Sox at Comiskey Park for Cleveland. It was the first of three career no-hitters for Feller and the first in MLB history on opening day. And now that Negro League stats have started to uh, come over into the big leagues, we can add another one. Leon Day for the Newark Eagles over the Philadelphia Stars in May of 1946. And a little foreshadowing maybe sometime next month we can get into Leon Day there. One more thing, April 13th, 1993. 
29 years ago Wednesday, Lee Smith closes out a Cardinals win at Dodger Stadium in the Cards beat LA 9-7. Smith has his 358th career save, breaking Jeff Reardon's record. He ended up with 478, and that was the all-time record until Trevor Hoffman passed him in 2006, and then Mariano Rivera fittingly uh, gets the saves record, and he got that in 2011. Lee Smith, a seven-time All-Star, a great pitcher. He was a contemporary of yours, Coney, uh, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2019. Lee Smith, an all-time great closer. One of the all-time great teammates, too, universally. People loved Lee Smith, the gentle giant, such a nice guy, a sweetheart, sweetheart of a man. Lee Smith, a Hall of Famer. Bob Feller, Hall of Famer, all-time great. I actually have a picture of Bob Feller right here pitching to a young Mickey Mantle at old Yankee stadium. I'm fascinated by uh, just the story of Bob Feller between amazing pitcher, war hero, uh, all around great American. It's a, uh, you remember, you remember when they tried to have the motorcycle race by him and then he was in his suit. He still had a took his sport coat on. He still had his tie on and street shoes and he was throwing fastballs, trying to time it was what is a motorcycle rode by about 90 miles an hour and the fastball beat it with his tie still on in his street shoes. So it was remarkable. Even back then technology, they were trying to figure out how hard Bob Feller threw velocity wise. So, you know, I, I wonder how he would feel about today's game and all the metrics and velocity and vertical horizontal break. You know, it, it's pretty remarkable how far we've come from the days of Bob Feller and a motorcycle to what we have now with StatCast. Bob Feller is like the original Guinea pig. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a, a, you know, great, Baseball player, part of the great generation, just a, a, a beautiful uh, life lived by Bob Feller. That's why I have his, you know, his picture on the wall here. Guys, I want to tell you about Topps Bun. It is the official digital trading card of Major League Baseball, and it is back for the 2022 season. This app was making the rounds at the John Boy Media Arizona compound during their spring training trip the other week. And I'm talking about some big leaguers getting in on the fun. Peter Moylan, Jerry Blevins, Trevor Plouffe, they were all deep into this app. And you remember the days like when you were young, you'd bring your book or binder of cards to school and trade with your friends. I definitely did that as a kid. But now all you need is your phone to collect these cards and you can trade them with literally anyone around the world. You want to take it to another level here? You can take your card collection and set lineups using cards in real-time scoring fantasy contests. So for more info, download the free Tops Bun app by clicking the link in the description or visiting the App Store or Google Play. Three up, three down, guys. It's a little bit different now that the season's <laughs> underway. We're each going to give some love to a pitcher or maybe a group of pitchers who we liked seeing over the last week or who we're looking forward to in the coming days, people that we think listeners should keep an eye on and pay attention to. So, David, how about you lead us off here? Well, you know, baseball, we've talked a lot about baseball in the inner city, inner cities of, of this country. And, you know, CC Sabathia is a member of what, what he calls the Black Aces. It's a very important group of young black pitchers uh, and uh, really the, the, some of the best black pitchers in the history of the game. CC's a part of that. We have another one coming up. He's from L.A. His name's Hunter Green. Had a great, he's with the Cincinnati Reds. He had a great opener, had seven strikeouts. He throws 100 miles an hour. Uh, he is remarkable uh, to watch. Just 22 years old. He was drafted out of high school 
out of uh, by the Reds. He was the second pick in the nation, first rounder, second overall pick in 2017 out of Notre Dame High School. So he's a high school kid. That's why he's in the big leagues so quickly at 22 years old. He is an important follow uh, to, to watch him pitch. He's legit, maybe the best young black pitcher since Dwight Gooden. I, you know, I mean, some people are making that that comp. So uh, to me, that's exciting to watch because we need that inspiration in our inner cities. We need to reach out and have, whether it's through the RBI programs in the inner cities to get more diversity, to get more of these kids into our game is huge uh, for major league baseball. So that's why I say Hunter green is such a, such an interesting and great story and a wonderful follow. So pay attention to Hunter green. He's legit. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's just an important statement and an important uh, influence potentially on the future of our game. Hunter Green got the win in his big league debut, seven strikeouts and in five innings on Sunday in Atlanta against the Braves. The Reds won that game six to three. Uh, but so by the time this episode is released, my guy's going to already have made his season debut on Monday at Yankee Stadium. But regardless how it turns out, Alec Manoa of the Toronto Blue Jays is someone that I'm going to be watching closely this season. I was really intrigued ever since he made his big league debut last year. And I think for all the hype that this Blue Jays team has received with their built-up rotation, Gosman, Kikuchi, along with Ryu, you got Barrios there, obviously. I think I saw enough last year that maybe Manoa could end up being the best in that rotation. And it could happen as quickly as this year. The slider is a pitch that I just left off my list during our pitch draft earlier in the winter time, it just disappears against right-handers. It's really tough to barrel. He's really tough to barrel overall. I'm excited to see a full season of Alec Manoa from the Toronto Blue Jays. And just to piggyback on, on Cone on the Black Aces, it's a 15-pitcher group of Black pitchers who've won, who've had 20 win seasons in the big leagues. And it's, it's worth ticking off the list. We'll just run through them. Don Newcomb, Toothpick Sam Jones, Bob Gibson, Mudcat Grant, Fergie Jenkins, Earl Wilson, Al Downing, Vita Blue, J.R. Richard, Mike Norris, Dwight Gooden, Dave Stewart, Dontrell Willis, C.C. Sabathia, and David Price. A pretty good list of pitchers right there. Uh, as for three up, three down, I'm going to go look forward to Wednesday. We're early in the season, so you don't... Later, later in the year, you don't really get the, the pitchers to line up the right way, but we're close enough to opening day where we still have aces matching up after pitching on opening day. So Wednesday afternoon, we're going to have Max Scherzer against Aaron Nola on Wednesday afternoon at one o'clock. We're going to have Nathan Avaldi against Eduardo Rodriguez as Erod hosts his former team in Detroit, Red Sox Tigers at one, uh, Clayton Kershaw will make his season debut for the Dodgers uh, in Minnesota. And, uh, and that's just the afternoon action. A little nightcap. How about Jose Barrios against Garrett Cole at Yankee Stadium? So that's going to be a fun day of pitching on Wednesday. James, I'm going to piggyback to the, the Black Aces again because I just brought up, I, I pulled up a, a picture of CC Sabathia's cleats that he wore on Players Weekend a couple of years ago where he had all the names on his cleats and they were dope looking they were white and gold and had all the names uh on his shoes it was a really cool look and i hope major league baseball is allowing players to kind of have 
cleats like that and pay homage to certain groups that have made this game as great as it is uh, on more on a regular basis. But yeah, Wednesday night this week, that's the night to zero in on. If you're a pitching fan, for sure. A lot of good matchups and a lot of top names. I'm interested to, uh, you knew you were saying it before, a lot of afternoon matchups. Uh, and, and one of them highlighting Eduardo Rodriguez against his old team in the Red Sox and then Cole and the Blue Jays with, with Barrios. Barrios has had a rough time against the Yankees in the past. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what it's like now in, under, under the uh, Blue Jays tutelage, I guess you could say, with uh, Pete Walker and, and, and the pitching staff there. Also, with the Blue Jays, David, this is a topic that you know maybe we could have covered going into the season, but it's something that's been weighing on my mind as we take a look at how this AL East is going to pan out. A lot of people are wondering what Kevin Gosman's going to do now that he's back in the AL East. Started with the Orioles, obviously found something when he left the AL East. Now he's back in it. What do you think he's bringing back to the AL East with him this time around? A lot more confidence. He feels much better about himself on the mound. His presence on the mound is completely different than when he was with the Baltimore Orioles. And he is also going to have the benefit of having a lot of run support pitching in front of that Toronto Blue Jays lineup. Um, that, I can't tell you how much that means. You know, you make one mistake. Say you give up a three-run homer in the first inning. You wait a week to pitch. And the next thing you know, oh, geez, here we go. Well, wait a minute. Uh, they're probably going to come back. So that gives you tremendous confidence to overcome some mistakes you make along the way um, that will have a residual effect on him as he, as he understands the run support he's going to get throughout the year. He still has, if not the best, one of the best splitters in the game in terms of effectiveness, the movement on that pitch, the usage, the way he gets to that pitch, he's identified his best pitch and he gets to it a lot of the times in good spots. So I think that's all a lot of the keys to, to pitching nowadays is identifying what's your strengths and getting yourself in position to use those strengths more often. He does that as well as anybody right now in today's game. He's definitely going to be an arm to watch. That is for sure. Toronto Blue Jays, a big, sexy pick. A lot of people say, and I know John Boy was saying, he doesn't like to focus or count a lot of his chips in terms of betting on the team that is getting all the love, all the hype going into the season. That is uh, certainly the Toronto Blue Jays, but they have mashed over their first uh, three games, seven home runs over their first three, and they're at Yankee Stadium this week against the Yankees. Guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks, as always, to the incredible Dan Rourke. Quick reminder, new episodes come out each and every Tuesday, except on weeks where we put them out on Wednesdays naturally uh please rate review subscribe best way that you could show your support to the show we have some bonus footage coming up later this week we had a chat with grayson rodriguez the top pitching prospect in all of baseball from the baltimore orioles he is making his second start in the minors this week we caught up with him a week or so ago that's gonna air on friday so that's coming out for you on friday so a little bonus chat with the top pitching prospect in all of baseball, Orioles pitcher Grayson Rodriguez. You want to stay put and be on the lookout for that one coming up later this week. Tone the Slab Pitching with David Cohn is a production of John Boy Media. We'll talk to you next week, everyone.